We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15 this morning. I will ask, if you're able, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word today? Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for being confident in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You may be seated. Seems appropriate on this New Year's Eve, to talk about pressing forward into the new year, into a new season of life, um, as individuals, but also as a church. If you were here last week, you know that we announced that in the very near future, we're going to be relocating into a new facility here in town, a larger church that will uh, hopefully be a great step forward for us. And in the life of a church, when it makes changes, especially big changes, when it enters new seasons, there's often a lot of questions that come up, but nearly all of those questions can be summarized into two larger questions. The two big questions are, number one, so what's the goal? And then number two, why? Is the goal simply to have more seats? Well, why would that be the goal? Or is the goal mainly to be more modern? Again, why is that the goal? Is the goal primarily to get more people to come? Why? 
Is the goal to be more attractive to the people in the community? Again, why? Now, these are legitimate questions. If those are goals, I can assure you that none of those are our goals. But these are the goals that often shallow Christians or surface deep churches have in mind when they think about building projects. They're embarrassing goals and goals that I would argue are not biblical. So what are our goals in relocating to a larger facility? Why are we relocating? Today I want to answer those basic questions. And I hope that by the time I'm done, you will see that our goals are biblical. And the why behind them is simple. If they are biblical, the why becomes very simple. It's about being obedient to God's commands for His church. And so I'm going to share with you this morning three goals here at the Well Worship Center as we move into the next season of ministry and the reason behind them. Goal number one. To be committed to the clear purpose of the church. In Philippians 3.1, Paul started off by saying, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So I want to just give a, just a little bit of background to the passage. I think it's important we understand the Bible when we're reading the Bible. It started off with some strange phrases where Paul says, you know, I want to remind you of these things. Uh, watch out for dogs, watch out for evildoers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he says, for we are the circumcision. One of the things that the church was dealing with in this particular place, the church of the Philippians, one of the things they were dealing with was that Jewish, uh, sometimes parents, grandparents, the Jewish people as a whole, were trying to tell Christians that in order for Christians to be right with God, they couldn't just believe in Jesus. They couldn't just follow Jesus. They had to keep the Old Testament law. And that's what Paul's saying, you know, watch out for that. And one of the Old Testament uh, things that made Jews Jews was that on the eighth day, the boys were circumcised. And so they called themselves the circumcision. It was a mark of of their faith. And Paul's just saying, for those that are saying that, you know, you have to follow the old, the old covenant way, they are mutilators of flesh, they're dogs, don't go that way. And then he moves into, ultimately, in a nutshell, we are saved by grace through faith. That, that's what he's saying there. And he says, it's, he says, it's no trouble for me to remind you of these things. There's a real important lesson there. So, Paul's, like, he's got half of his letter done, he's moving into the last couple thoughts, and he says, this is what he says in essence, I just want to remind you of the simple truths that we are built upon, and it is no trouble. And there is a tremendous amount of wisdom in going back to the basics of our faith, establishing what is important. And I would even argue establishing what is not. About six months ago, I began praying about, you know, what does the future of our church look like? And I want to give you just a quick little background on the Aviator Church building, which we are in contract to purchase. So it would have been last year in July, they approached us 
and said, hey, would you all be willing to buy our building? They were hoping to merge with another church, and in order to merge with that church, they needed to be able to sell their building. And so, cautiously, we were like, yeah, let's see what happens. And um, you never heard of this, because there was always kind of a question of like, are they here, you know, is this really going to happen? Well, it didn't. They tried it with one church, and then that didn't work, and then they tried it with another church, and there was about this five-month window where we were waiting on that deal to happen, and then that fell through, and then that didn't happen. And so about six months ago, we got the news, this isn't going to happen. And the reason it's important maybe time frame to understand what God was doing in my life, at that point in time, I just accepted, well, this deal isn't going to happen, and more than likely, it's three to five years out before we relocate. So without any idea that we would be relocating this soon, the Holy Spirit began dealing with me about, so what does the future look like for the well? As you continue to grow and expand, as you step into a new season of ministry at the Well Worship Center, what should that look like? What if, what if you were to get more space? What would you do with that space? How would you utilize it? And what would you want to see happen? And my heart was just like, God, ultimately, what you want? What do you want for your church? And I would say I spent somewhere between four to six months seeking God, really going back to the Word with an intentional look at what did the church look like, what is the role of the church, what is the purpose of the church, and and allowing God to maybe deal with some stuff in me that I think just needed settled as we move forward. After I got these thoughts processed, I thought, okay, so now that I think I've got direction, I want to sit down with our elders and I want to tell these guys kind of what I'm thinking. When I look at the future, I want to share with them what I feel like has been going on in my heart the last several months. Met with our elders. We had just a 100% sense of like unity on this, like yes, this is it. And this morning, I want to now share with you as a congregation our direction. You know, you might be wondering, okay, so you're relocating, we're getting a bigger building, what's the goal? You might be wondering, what are our leaders thinking? What do they want to see happen? What should we anticipate? This morning, I want to answer those questions. And the first thing is we want to be committed to the clear purpose of the church. And as I was thinking on this and meditating on this, I want to clarify something. I would not say that we need to get back to our biblical purpose. That would imply that we've left it. I don't think we have. That's not true. And when I share with you this morning these things, I think you'll agree, yeah, we do these things pretty well. But what I do mean is that we need an even deeper commitment to those things. And here's the kicker. We need to be intentional about eliminating the things that divert us from our God-given purpose. It's not about doing more as we expand. It's actually about doing less. It's not about finding opportunities to do more. It's about doing less and doing what we should be doing with a greater focus, with greater intentionality, and, and focusing on the important things. So first, I want to talk about, you know, going forward, understand the heart of your leaders 
when we talk about eliminating unnecessary things, we have to get it settled. I had to get it settled. Biblically, according to this book right here, I'm going to drop my stuff. According to this book right here, what is the church not responsible to provide for you? That's an important thing to settle. As I thought about big church, I thought about growth. Here's what I'm, I can tell you I'm right about, according to this book. It is not the responsibility of the church to provide big Christian events for people to attend. You just won't find it anywhere in New Testament Christianity, them getting together, putting on big mega events that would somehow try to influence thousands of people to come out. It's just not how it worked. Now, I'm not saying the big Christian events are wrong. Understand what I'm trying to tell you is, I'm talking about what you should expect from your church. Nor should we uh, expect entertaining experiences. In fact, entertaining experiences is the only thing on the list that I, I actually have a problem with. I don't have a problem with big Christian events. I don't have a problem with anything else I'm about to name. But entertaining experiences was never something that the New Testament church was out to, to produce. And I would argue that entertaining experiences, when we try to produce that, it's a substitute for when the Holy Spirit isn't there. If the Holy Spirit is present and moving, you won't need to entertain people to get them to come back. They will be drawn by the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit isn't moving and we want to make sure people return, we are left to our own devices to try to be as entertaining as we possibly can and make the experience as fun as it can possibly be so that hopefully they like it and they return. Understand and I had to get this settled. We have to get this settled. You have to get it settled. That the church, the church was never meant to be a place of entertainment. It wasn't meant to put on big, great events. Something else we have to get settled is never the job of the church to have a group for every single type of person. We're not supposed to have extracurricular activities as alternatives for people to attend such as Fall Festival in lieu of Halloween, prom alternative instead of high school prom. Again, these things aren't wrong. What I'm telling you is it's not the job or duty of the church to provide them. People that put these things on, great. We can't have a group, as I said, for every type of person. A Friday night fun group for young people to have somewhere else to go. Early morning breakfast for old guys to sit around and solve the world's problems. Quilt knitting group for old ladies who like to sew. A ministry for short people. A ministry for tall people. A ministry for people from 30 to 45. A ministry for people from 45 to 60 and so on. It goes on and on and on and on. Understand something. We have to get it settled. Nowhere in this book do you ever see any of that. And so you can't and shouldn't expect it of your church to provide for you what God did not design the church to provide. Now, I want to say something. These things, right, big Christian events, uh, groups for individual types of people, extra, extracurricular activities, prom alternative, those things are not bad things. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying that some Christian out there shouldn't be called to providing that. What I'm trying to say is it's not the job of the church and your leaders to provide these things for you. If you want to do these things, awesome. 
Go do them. Short people want to get together on Friday nights to go play mini golf? Do it. <laughs> Katie McKee can be your president. Or Katie Neal. Katie Neal. President of the Short People Ministry. The point that I'm trying to make is that biblically, it's not the job of your church to provide these things. And what happens is that often the church can be so committed to these things that we honestly neglect our God-given purpose. And as we think about moving forward, we want to focus on what is our purpose and be really good at that and not be committed to all these other little things that are good. If you want to do them, like I said, do them. But as leaders, as elders, as your spiritual leaders here at the well, we want to focus on the things that are the clear purposes of the church, and we want to do those with excellence. So let's get settled. What are we responsible for, and what should we be deeply committed to? Number one, the church needs a deeper commitment to the Bible. We need a deeper commitment to the Bible, learning it and obeying it. And in the near future, we're going to make some small tweaks. They're not going to be massive changes, but some, some small changes, I would call them improvements, that are designed to help us teach more of the Bible, that are designed to make sure that if you're here for three months, six months, a year, you're able to look back and say, I've learned the Bible over the course of that time. And so there's some things that we're going to be doing that are committed there. And I'm not going to share all the little tiny details of how we're going to accomplish this. I'm just going to tell you these are the big goals that we feel like we need to be deeply committed to. The Bible, learning and obeying it. Worship. And I mean worship. Not entertainment, but worship. It's important that God's people gather on a regular basis and that we come together and we worship together. It is an important part of the Christian faith. And at the heart of it, it comes down to those that are leading us in worship, actually worshiping, not entertaining us, not singing to us, but worshiping. And as they worship and they worship God, they lead us in the worship of God. We want to, we want to be worshipers, not entertainers, but worshipers. Number three. We want to be deeply committed to equipping the saints for ministry. Now, you've heard me say this a couple times in the last month or so, that the ultimate job of good spiritual leaders is not to do the work for you all the time, but to equip you for the work of ministry. That each and every Christian has a role to play in the body of Christ, has ministry of some sort that you should be doing in your daily lives, and you should expect from your church, you should expect from your spiritual leaders the help with that, the equipping, the knowledge and the understanding of how to use your God-given gifts in your life. The fourth, prayer. When I looked at the things that we need to be committed to, prayer is one, I, Jesus said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And I, I, I don't even know exactly what that looks like yet. I don't know exactly how we improve on that, but I am 100% convinced it is something we need to be deeply committed to is prayer as a people. And then finally, missions. 
the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples. This deals with winning the lost, but not just winning the lost, winning the lost and making disciples out of them, training and teaching them the Scriptures. So our first goal is to be deeply committed to the clear purpose of the church, and ultimately it is this, teaching the Bible, worship, community worship, equipping saints for ministry, prayer, and the expansion of the kingdom, outreach, evangelism, missions, whatever word you want to use for it there. This is the ultimate purpose of the church. And when we think about moving forward, that's what we're focused on. Number two, to be committed to lifelong growth as individuals and as a community. Philippians 3.12, Paul said, Not that I have obtained already this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. What an awesome statement from the apostle. Consider that the one who wrote this, consider the reality. He literally had Jesus appear to him and change his life. Consider that the same person was in a supernatural way caught up into heaven. When he wrote about it, he said, I don't know if I was in the spirit. I don't know if I was in body. I don't know. But it was such a holy experience, he didn't even write about it for something like four, till 14 years later. It was so holy, he didn't even speak about it or write about it. But this is a guy, I mean, I hesitate to use the word closer to God, but this is a guy, how could you be closer to God than him? He literally started tons of churches at this stage in his life, he's writing to these churches that he planted successfully that are thriving and growing, and here's what he has to say about it. I haven't obtained it yet, but I'm trying. What a humble thing to come from the great apostle, and it teaches us a very important truth. It does not matter how old you are or how long you've been saved. Here on this side of heaven, there is always room for individual growth spiritually. Always. And we should be growing spiritually as individuals. As an individual, that is something you should expect from your church is that it helps facilitate that spiritual growth in your life. And I am convinced that if we will stay committed to the things I mentioned in point one, and we won't get distracted doing things that we aren't so really supposed to be committed to, that if we can do that well, it will help facil facilitate an environment where as individuals we are growing spiritually. It's a very important thing. But as we grow spiritually, it's important to know that we will grow in numbers. We will grow as a congregation. Individual growth always eventually e equals corporate growth. It always does. Honestly, it's the reason that we experience growth here at the Well Worship Center. Consequently, we need space. We need space in our nurseries, space in our kids' areas, youth groups, sanctuary, offices, stage, uh, storage, parking, all of it. You name it. We need space. And it's good. It's a great problem to have. No church 
that ever stopped expanding, no church that ever stopped expanding is doing the will of God. I want to say that again. It's a strong statement. No church that ever stopped expanding is doing the will of God. One of the reasons, one of the primary reasons the Bible teaches us that Jesus has not returned yet is that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we learned that one of the, the heartbeats behind God's waiting to return is that sinners be saved. This is what Jesus came and died for, to seek and save the lost. And now, we are the body of Christ. And so his mission is our mission. And so any church that's not expanding and seeking and winning the lost, I don't care how you slice it, how you dice it, they're not doing the will of God. And I know that can be hard to hear for some folks and offensive, but we've got to go to this book and figure out what's the purpose of the church. And if we are the church, are we, are we doing what God designed the church to do? And that is to grow, and that is to expand, and that is to win the lost. There are those, this is probably the strongest thing I'm going to say this morning, but hear me out. There are those who want a small church. This is biblically absurd, selfish, and I would cautiously use the word sinful. It is a rebellion against the very reason that Jesus died. We, when, when, we, when we have the mindset that I would rather, you know, I would rather nobody else come, so that I've got my little thing, all of a sudden, it's actually become about us. It's not about God. It's not about His kingdom. It's not about sinners. It's not about souls. It's all about me and my little thing. And can I, can I share with you a little bit of, of what I would call the, the psychology behind that mindset? The reason that most people want a small church, those who do like small church, want small church, it's because they like the feeling of being able to know everybody. But you got to keep in mind, nowhere did the Bible tell you you're supposed to know everybody. And, and really think about first century church, folks. You didn't have 47 churches in a three-block radius with, you know, 40 different divisions. There was the church in Colossus, the church in Philippi. And so either you went to church or you didn't. And we've become accustomed to such small church that there's the feeling of, like, I know everybody, and I like that. I know what's going on here. And if it grows and it expands, then I can't know. Listen, first of all, I can relate to that. I promise you this. There's not anybody in this room that can relate to that better than me. I remember when the church years ago got to the place where it was too big for me to know everybody by name. And I felt like something was wrong with me. Like, I felt like I was a bad pastor. That, you know, I'd see somebody, and I wouldn't know their name, and I'd feel like, man, you're not doing your job, Joplin. And, and then more people would come, and I wouldn't know them either, and I hadn't had time to meet the other people I didn't know. And then I'd be walking down the hall. I mean, 
Sometimes, as the pastor, I've introduced myself to people who've been coming for months, and to my credit, they hadn't introduced themselves to me either. But I introduced myself to them, and they're like, oh, we've been coming for months. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry about that. But here's the thing. I I remember that switch in my life, and, and and I remember talking to God about it, and I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. And I remember the Holy Ghost having to deal with me about what my role is as a pastor. There's not a single scripture in here at all, unless you want to take some and twist them a little bit. There's not a single scripture here at all that commands that every pastor knows the name of every single person that goes to their church. You look at first century church, go to Acts chapter 2 and 3, and you see a church that had 3,000 people added to it in a day or two. What are the chances any of the apostles knew all the people there? Zero. And I had to learn that. I had to learn like, okay, I'm not a bad pastor because I don't know every single person by name. I'm not a failure. Doesn't mean I don't love people. Doesn't mean I'm not doing God's will for my life. But it took, that was hard for me. And there are times, listen, I just had to learn to live with it. But there are times in my own life, I look around, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on in this place. Like, I don't know you, and I don't know you, and I don't know your story, and I don't know your story. And I have to understand something. You were never designed to know that many people that well and to know all their intimate business. And here's what you'll find. You get small church mentality, and I'm just going to take this group here, right? There's this first 20 here on the front four rows. And it's just us, and it's just our church. We'll call it a church. It's more like a small group, but we'll call it a church. And, and so we're a church, and we all know everybody. We know everybody's business. We know everything about everybody. We're real close. We love our close church. Well, what happens is when new people start to come in, we're like, well, I don't know you, though, and I don't know you, and I don't know you. But, but follow me with this. We do still know each other. We still have our group that we're connected with. We still have accountability within our group. We just don't know everything else that's going on, and we don't like that. you got to understand, that's a really bad way to live. One of the things it does in this, in my opinion, this is, I'm getting off into the weeds into my opinion now, it ends up actually forcing you to break into small groups. And one of the problems with mega small groups and calling every one of them churches is hard to find good pastors. It's, it's hard to find a hundred great pastors to pastor a hundred tiny churches. It's hard. And so the point that I'm trying to make is we, we are committed to lifelong growth. And it's one of the reasons we need space. It's one of the reasons we need to move. It is the will of God that his church grow and expand. And if we're committed to that, we're going to continue to grow and we're going to continue to expand. And so goal number one, be deeply committed to the clear purpose of the church. Goal number two, be deeply committed to lifelong growth of the individual and the congregation as a whole. And number three, we want to be committed to continually pressing forward. Now, what I'm about to share, it relates to our church when we think about where we're headed, but this relates to you as an individual as much as anything I'm going to say this morning. We must be committed to continually pressing forward. Paul said it. Again, in in 13 and 14, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. I just, I want to say again, what a thing from the apostle. 
I mean, here's a guy who's on the, the back end last couple years of his life who has been as successful as anybody has ever been other than Jesus Christ with his ministry. And you know what he says? I'm forgetting what's behind me and I'm pressing on to what is ahead. When we talk about forgetting what lies behind, it's a reference to both the good and the bad. It doesn't mean that we don't have any memory at all. It doesn't mean that we don't rejoice in what once was. Here's what it means, is that we don't allow what once was to dictate our feet as we move forward. And you can do this with a negative sense. There are people who have allowed things behind them that were negative to still impact their progress forward today because they won't stop looking back at everything that went wrong, everything that didn't go like they wanted it to, and now they're timid to move forward because they're so afraid of what once was still happening if you move forward, and they're frozen. But I've also seen churches stifle themselves. I've seen people stifle themselves even by allowing what was good to play too much of a role and what lies ahead. Things change. You know, I'm probably going to get off into the weeds here and get in trouble. But, too late. I am seriously conflicted about sharing this, but now there's no way to back out. I personally, I like a lot more hymns than what we sing. Don't put a hand up and don't say amen and don't clap. Don't do it. I like a whole lot more hymns than what we sing. When I very first turned the reins over to Chris Hernandez, I was primarily a southern gospel in the church kind of guy with some hymns. And every now and then you could sing a contemporary song if you had a southern gospel twang to it. You want to know why? Not because it's better. But because when I look back at where I'd come from, those were some of my more precious memories during the first five years I was saved. And so I had a certain attachment to them. You know who didn't have that same attachment? The guy that got God called to lead worship here. And I've had to learn not to take the things I want and try to force them upon everybody else. And I've got to trust that when God calls somebody to lead in a certain area, you've got to empower those people to lead and you've got to let God work through them. And I've learned, I have learned to literally enjoy our worship, and I've watched God use it and realize it's not, you know, you just can't allow everything that once was, everything you used to like about something or things you didn't like to somehow control what happens as you go forward. And so Paul says, I forget what was behind me. There's probably some individuals right now that you're really frozen and stuck in your life because you can't stop looking back. And you just, that's all you look back. You look back, you look back, you look back, you look back. That's all you want to talk about. What was, what happened, what did, what this. And stop. Paul said, forget it. Instead, strain forward and press on. He said he presses on towards the goal. What is the goal? Paul defines it as the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward prize, the upward prize, brothers and sisters, it's heaven. That, that's the goal. That's where we're going. 
That's where we are headed as a body of believers, as a congregation. You know where we're headed? We're headed upward towards heaven. We're not headed to some building a few blocks down the road. What an awful location that would be for us to be heading. We are not headed towards a building. We're not headed north or east or south. We're headed up to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the destination. And that is the prize that we have to keep our eyes on. That's the the destination, you could call it. The finish line. But knowing that's the destination, then what does that mean about our life here? So like, what is our goal here on this side of heaven? And the simplest answer is this. Knowing Christ and making Him known. That's it. And the simplest answer is to know Him better and to make Him known to others. That's the goal. And as simple as that sounds, isn't it interesting that even 2,000 years ago when Paul spoke about his desire to do this, he used the words straining and pressing. Those are strong words. I strain forward. I press on. Why the strong words? Because this is easier said than done. It is difficult to forget what lies behind. It's difficult. And it takes discipline. And I'll use the situation I already used in my own life. It it was difficult and it took discipline for me to say, Joplin, stop looking back and stop comparing everything. And you trust God with who God's brought into your life and into your ministry. And you empower them to do their job right and don't get in the way. That took some discipline in my life. And it was not easy. I had to press forward with that. I had to strain forward. You'll find if you're going to move forward in your life, maybe there's some of you here this morning, there's some very real changes. I mean serious changes that need to happen in 2024. You know, I'm, I'm not talking, you know, minor stuff, but real stuff, life-changing stuff. Listen, it's possible, but you have to press You've got to strain forward. It's not just going to happen on its own. You can't just sit there and think it's going to take place. And I'm convinced when I think about us here at the church and and I think about our future as we move forward and we relocate, I'm convinced it's going to take some straining and some pressing to, to keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, listen, you need to be praying for us. You need to be praying for your leaders. We're just people. And I'll tell you something, uh, there are times in my life that I I start thinking to myself, well, maybe we do need to do what everybody else does. You hear it enough, well, this church has a group for this, this church has a group for that, this church has good coffee, this church has that, this church has that, this church has this, and if we're going to be like everybody else, we got to have this, we got to have that, and and, and we got to be more interesting, we got to be more entertaining, and before you hear it enough, over and over and over again, guess what? You kind of start thinking, well, I don't know, who knows, maybe we do. See, it takes work to settle in our hearts. What are we not called to do? What what, what did God not command of His church? And forget what everybody else says about it. Forget other models and let this be the model. It actually takes some work. And then pushing forward and saying this is this is what we're committed to. We're going we're gonna to stay committed to these, tr- these simple truths, these clear purposes. It's going to take some work. And what you need to know, this is what we're committed to. 
I think it's important that you know that as a congregation. If you want to know the type of conversations that are happening behind closed doors at the leadership level, this is the type of stuff we talk about. We're not sitting around talking about, are we going to have more lights on the stage? We're not sitting around talking about, are we going to be more relevant? We're not sitting around talking about, you know, how much are we going to be more modern? We're not sitting around talking about clever ways to get more butts in the seat. And I think it's helpful for you to know that, that even as we're moving and as we're finally making this, this change, this ain't the conversation happening at the leadership level. I'll share with you a brief testimony and we'll close this morning. I was praying the other day intentionally about the move. I'm like, God, I need to take some time this morning and I just need to talk to you about the move. I want you to guide and direct, you know, what needs to happen, what's the process. And as I stand before you and before the Lord, I got three minutes into prayer and I got lost. I mean lost. And all I was praying was that somehow, some way, God would help me to know him more. That God's voice would be more clear to me than it's ever been. That I would know him. And you, this might sound strange to you, but I'm just telling you, this is what I was praying. That I might know him because he is truth. And truth makes us free. Like, my mind is in that place. I'm like, God, I need to know you more. Like, I want to experience... I pray these things. I want to experience what Paul experienced to some degree, somehow, some way. God, let me know you in that way. God, reveal yourself to me in that way. God, I, I want to be that close. I want to walk that way. I want to be that type of leader. I want to be the type of man that is so near you and you're so near me and I'm so filled with you that just being in the room with somebody could possibly change their life. That's where my mind went in prayer when I intentionally left my house to go pray about some building. And I'm not bragging about that. I'm just wanting you to know this is like where your leaders are. This is where I'm at. Don't misunderstand me. It's not that I don't care about the building, but it's just a building. We are the church. It is just a building. And that building and this building and all others are eventually going to burn with a fervent heat the, the elements that these things are made of, they're not going with us to heaven. Jesus died for you. He died for people. He died for the church, not for buildings. And so it's just a building, and we can't ever make it more than that. I, I'm thrilled we're moving. I thank God that many of you who end up here at the 1030 service, who have to park down the road to get here, I thank God you're going to have parking. I think that's great. I'm thankful we're going to have more space for our nurseries and more space for our kids' classes and more space for our youth and more space in the sanctuary. I think it's fantastic. But I can tell you that when I get start to thinking about the future of the well, when we start talking about it at the leadership level, those are like byproducts that are like, cool, that's going to be a benefit. But it is not where our heartbeat is. It's about being as biblical as we can as we expand God's kingdom, it is about being focused to the things that God has called his church to be focused on. It is about forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what is forward. The last verse I want us to look at is just an interesting verse in our text. It's verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, in anything, you think otherwise... God will reveal that also to you. 
Paul says those of us who are mature, we think this way. And not allowing the past to dictate our future. And being intentional no matter what we've accomplished, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've come, about being intentional about leaving that behind and continuing to press forward in our own individual faith, continuing to press forward in ministry with our eyes on heaven, focused on heaven. He says this is the way that we who are mature ought to think. And I don't mean this being spirited. Some of you will not think that way. And that's fine. I just challenge you to consider what the apostle said. If you think otherwise, be willing to let God reveal the truth to you as well. Thank you.